Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. My name is Rick Harrell. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to share with you this morning because uh, Pastor Tim, Karen, and some of the other staff are out of town. They've actually been up in Ohio uh, enjoying a vineyard conference that has actually been like an international vineyard conference. Something like 73 countries were represented, something like that. It's crazy stuff, and it's just been some incredible things going on. We've got to do some of the live feed at our house to see what was going on. So they've enjoyed. I'm sure you'll get to hear some stories when Pastor Tim gets back in. So I want to uh, start our message off by taking a real quick poll, a a little test. Now, if you've got bad news coming or you've got maybe something that needs to be corrected in your life, uh, would you rather have somebody come to you and kind of in a roundabout way, you know, kind of approach it, be real, real uh, careful in how they say it and maybe get to it eventually and just kind of beat around, you know, not beat around the bush, but, you know, just kind of share a little bit here, a little bit there and finally get to the, the news and the correction. Or would you rather have somebody come to you and just like directly, you know, this is what's going on and this is where it's going and here's what needs to happen and just approach it real directly. Which would you rather have? The direct. Okay, we're all Americans here, right? Okay, just Americans love the direct. When I lived in Italy, when we served in missions in Italy, we had a uh, um, uh, the, the, the team leader for our team there in the Alps up in the northern part of Italy with our missions team was, uh, was Italian. And he approached things like Italians would, very circuitously, very kind of around the, you know, around the block. And he would, uh, you know, if, if there was something wrong, he would, he would talk about how that, didn't work out one other time way back when. And if he had to tell something, if he had to correct something, he would, he would tell an illustration or a story. And it was just like, please tell me what you're trying to say. It drove the Americans nuts, no doubt, on the team. And we still got along with each other, but it, that's just the way they were. And that's the culture that they grew up in. And... Um, and so, you know, that works for a lot of people. A lot of people like the uh, kind of grace-filled, eventually getting to it, but a lot of us like the direct approach. Paul is writing to the Philippians, and we've been in the book of Philippians for, uh, for a few weeks now, and we're coming up to the end of chapter 3. And Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he chooses to take the direct route. He chooses to approach this with a very direct and straightforward um, uh, help to help the church acknowledge what's going on in their midst and be able to make corrections and be able to stand firmly for the real gospel, the truth of God, the grace-filled gospel that he's called us to. And so uh, Paul is taking a very direct approach, and he has all the way through the book. Uh, if you remember, yeah, he, he was at one point he's talking about He's talking to the church in Philippi about these people who are coming in with this, this kind of aberrant gospel, this, this, uh, this twisted gospel message, uh, and he calls them dogs. He just calls them dogs. That's pretty direct. 
pretty graphic. He said that they were, they were, they were talking so frequently about this, this thing that added to the gospel that ought to be done that was like yapping mongrels on the streets. And so he's very graphic in what he says. In fact, he was talking about his own life. And, and he says, you know, what I live for and what I've done in the past, when it comes to what it means to walk after God today, what I've done in the past, it's all like refuse. It's all like trash. What matters today is today I choose to walk by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and I stretch forward to grab hold of that goal. And so all of that other is just trash. And the word he uses there is, is the same word that you would use if you were to see um, uh, in a rainstorm the stuff that would float down the sides of the streets in a city that didn't have sewer. Well, there's your graphic for today. So that's what he was talking about. And that's what he was talking about in his own life. He said, my life didn't count until I came to know what it meant to walk after the grace of God. And so we want to look at a passage today that he gets very, um, um, very direct in talking about what it means to measure up to the gospel of grace. What does it mean to measure your life by what God's expectations are for you in order to, to stay on the right path? And so we want to look at Philippians chapter 3, beginning with, with, with verse 15. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. And we're going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. And you can read along silently uh, in your Bibles or up on the screen while I read here. He says this, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, that too God will make clear to you. Even here, he's being pretty graphic. He's saying, you know, you may not completely agree with me. You may not really line up with what I've been telling you. But you know what? God's going to get you. And he'll get you straight. So keep open to what God's word says. Keep open to the truth of God. And he'll change your mind. And he'll line you up right. And so even here, he's talking very, very uh, directly to the church there in Philippi. And then in verse 16, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, when you read a passage in the Bible, do you find yourself kind of sort of transported back to that time? It's actually a good thing. You know, you kind of see yourself as being maybe a part of that experience, and it helps it kind of come alive in your own life, kind of puts it in context. It's almost like we're sitting in this, this, um, this, uh, this living room of this small group. And the church in Philippi was basically a group of small groups that made up the church. And you're sitting there in this room and you're hearing this letter written by Paul. And um, you're sitting there and, and someone says up and says, hey, I got a letter from Paul. And it's addressed to the whole church, so I want to read it out to you. And you're kind of a new believer. I'm a new believer. I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to, to this letter from Paul being read. And I'd heard about Paul, but I'd never met him. 
And I looked around the room and people are nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, that's the way he lived. That's what he told us. That's how he instructed us. That's what we need to be doing. And so there's this common experience of, of being in that room and listening to this letter. And so when we hear these words, we, we realize that these words weren't written into a vacuum. And they weren't just like a blog that hopefully somebody in Australia would read and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty good stuff. It was written to people that Paul knew. It was written to people that Paul loved. It was written to people that God had used Paul to change their lives and instruct them and model for them what it meant to live a life after God and to live a life of grace. So he's not writing into a vacuum. There were relationships and and there were discussions going on in these small groups all over Philippi for believers. And they were talking about what it meant to live for the gospel. And what was going on in this church is that there were actually influences that were, that were saying the gospel isn't really enough. The gospel plus is what you need to pursue. In fact, if you are only living for the gospel, that's not really, that's not really going to get you to, to God. That's not going to please, uh, to please Jesus. You need to have this and the gospel in your life. There was one group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the legalists. And these guys said, uh, it's, it's Christ plus Jewishness that pleases God. They lived for the outward signs. And so they were trying to be as Jewish as they could so that God would give them favor and show them favor. Their cry was, I'm circumcised and I'm in. You know, they had all the outward signs, the Jewishness going for them. And it was all about what their outward life looked like. And they were saying, it's the gospel plus Jewishness. And there was another group in there that, uh, that, were, that had a voice into this church and, and, uh, and were, were appealing to the church in Philippi. And these guys were the perfectionists. They were the pious ones among them. They saw Christianity as going after Jesus, but also living by the list. They thought that if they had the right list and the right code and the right instructions and they checked off everything every week, then they would be perfect like Jesus is perfect and that would make God happy and that's how you approach God. And so the perfectionists believed it was good news plus the checklist. Their cry was, I've arrived and I'm alive. They had arrived because they were doing everything just right and that made them alive in Christ. And so they were the do-gooders among them. And then there was a third group, an unusual group. And this group basically were the carnal, fleshly, live-for-the-moment people that were in the church or related to people that were in the church. And they believed that God's grace was what it was all about. And uh, and no matter how I live, no matter what sin I participate in, no matter what I pursue... God's grace will be enough for me, and I can just live however I want to. In fact, if I keep living however I want to and keep fulfilling all my appetites, then that's more grace. I'm giving God an opportunity to give more grace. So that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me. But that made sense to them. And there was this group of carnal people who were saying, live after the flesh. Live for the moment. It doesn't matter how you live. Christianity is all about grace. It's it's. The more you sin, the more grace you'll get out of it. For them, it was good news plus a license to sin. 
Their cry was, do it if you feel like it and make sure you post pictures. Because they bragged about how they lived and they bragged about what they did. And these were the never satisfied. They were never satisfied. And so these were people in the church that were influencing the church of Philippi to move away from a gospel that is solely based on faith in Jesus and depending on His grace and living a life of holiness that honors Him and honors the kingdom. And Paul is writing to these people because he loves them. He has friends in this church and, uh, and he knew that influenced in these ways. And, and, and for some of his friends, he knew that these appeals were making sense. And people were beginning to be swayed and, and moved toward uh, the gospel plus something else. You know, in each of these three groups, in each of these three groups, by saying the gospel plus something else, it makes God, the great God of heaven, the God of the unpredictable, the God of all power, become manageable and smaller. If you can check off everything that you need to check off, and then that's God, then your God's too small. And if your outward, if your the outward signs of your Christianity is all that you've ever experienced in Christ, your God's too small. And if you've allowed your life to get to a place where you've just given up and said, oh, it's all grace anyway, I can keep living however I want to, then you've made your God too small. And Paul is approaching this to the church in Philippi, and I think it directly relates to where we are as a church and as a culture today. So Paul is saying to the church, these three groups that are appealing to you could have an influence on you, But I'm here to tell you that a life of faith is following Jesus day by day. It's trusting Him and not trusting in your actions. It's trusting Him for who you are as well as what you aren't yet. It's trusting Him in the moment for the good and the bad because He is going to meet you and speak into your life where you need His help and where you need His Word. It's allowing that tension that's called faith That we want to live for Him and we know that we're 100% accepted in the kingdom. We're 100% accepted by His grace. But we know that we're not 100% acceptable. We know there are things that keep us from being everything we want to be. And we know that in that tension is where God speaks to us. And God meets us and walks through life with us. And that's what makes the Christian faith so rich. It's a relationship and not a list and not outward appearances and not giving up and living however we want to. Now, uh, some years back, I um, um, supported my family by mowing lawns. And um, some of you here can relate to that, where you get out and you make a few bucks to to mow grass. And um, Lois and Jim Oldham's house was one of those classic mow, blow, and go jobs. Familiar with that? 30 minutes, I'm in and out, I'm done. And uh, they would have been happy with the yard. But I committed to praying for people as I mowed their lawn. I committed to seeking to have input in their lives and maybe represent Christ in some way to them. And so I would mow their lawn and I would blow around their cars and, 
You know, I would trim the, the edgings and the curbs and, and I would pray, God, bless Lois and Jim. Bless their marriage. Bless them with friends. Bless them richly. Prosper them. Help them to have health. Give them uh, eyes of faith to see you. And then give me a chance to speak into their lives. And so I did that. And a few weeks into it, I began to actually have an opportunity sitting at their dining room table to talk about things of faith. And is that outside or is that me? I'm stepping on a cord, aren't I? Good. Um, and so I had a chance to speak to, uh, to Jib about faith. And we would talk about what it meant to be a Christian. And I, would, I shared the gospel. We talked about church. We talked about. And he would always say the same thing. He would say, you know, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. I, I need to get my life cleaned up more first. I need to be more religious. I need to, to figure this, this, whole, this whole what it means to be religious thing out first. And that was always the block. He always hit that roadblock. And he never, would, he never did come to faith in Christ that I know of. He was 91 years old. It's about time for him to figure these things out. And he would always say, well, there's time. There's time. And what he was experiencing is the same thing that a lot of times people today experience. That what they're asking in their hearts is, how do I measure up in a way that God is honored? How do I, what standard do I use in my life so that I know that God is pleased with my life? Now, I'm not talking about the salvation experience we have. It's holy by grace. We will never measure up to be saved on our own. Even though these other three groups are saying that there are ways that you could get to God otherwise. But I'm talking about having some, some, some elements of ideas in our lives, of standards that we could say, you know, I'm going in the right direction. God has me on the right path. And if I keep going in this direction, then I know that I'm going to have a life that pleases Him. And I know that my intimacy with Him will grow. And I know that I'm going to end up right. That it's not going to be a destruction at the other end of it. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking to the Philippian church and saying, here are some things that you can... Okay, so Paul's writing to his friends, and let's jump into three things that I want to share with you. He writes and he says, I know that you're being challenged by these other ways, these other things that you could do to try to get to God. I know that you're being challenged by these, and I know that, that you look at these people and you say, you know, these are pretty uh, disciplined people. I like these people. They're friends of yours. But know this... That God has a pattern for your life. And the first point is, let the pattern of your life be informed by God's truth. Let the pattern of your life be informed by God's truth. Now, your, your life can be informed by a lot of things. You can, your life can be informed by your feelings. And that can dictate to you how you feel about your faith and your life. Uh, your life can be informed by the education you've received. Your life can be informed by your, your social status. Your life of faith can be informed by the cultural discussion going on around you. And God says, let your life of faith be informed by my truth. In verse 15 and 16, he even says, you know, um, you may not agree with the truth of God, but stay open to the truth of God because it will change your life and change your mind. So stay open 
to what my truth says. And then Paul does something very interesting. He doesn't go into a theological treatise. He uses his own life as an example. He uses his own life as an example. And he says, remember what I was like among you. Remember the things I shared with you. Remember the truth that I brought to you. Remember the life of grace that I modeled as I talked about grace. Remember the life of freedom that I modeled as I lived a life of freedom. And put those two together because your life of faith needs to be informed by my truth, God's Word says. Your life needs to be informed by the truth of God. Remember what I taught you. Remember how I lived. And let that be a model for you. You know, Jesus actually was talking to his disciples up in the upper room before he died on the cross. And he said the same thing to them as well. He was praying for the church and he was praying for, for uh, the Christians who had come after, after the disciples. And he was praying all the way down through the ages. And he said this in, in chapter 17, verse 17 and 18 of John. He said, Father, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Let your truth, God, make me holy and make me right. Let my truth sanctify me. Let let the truth of God sanctify your people, Lord. Let your truth change their lives. And Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying, remember what I was like, remember what I said, and let that change your life. Let that inform your life of faith. Remember the freedom you experienced when you were hanging out with me and we studied together and we did life together and you saw me live this way and you heard me say these things. Let this, let this inform you. Let my life of grace and let my life of faith built on his truth be your template. Not in a proud, boastful way, but he was saying, follow after me Because I'm going to follow after God with all my heart. And I'm going to follow after God with all my heart along with Epaphroditus. And I'm going to follow after God with Timothy and others. And if you'll get in line and follow after me with all your heart, you'll be going in the right direction. So church, run after me as far and as fast as you can. And you'll become more like him because I'm going to become more like him. Now, I have a confession to make. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I know you're probably thinking, well, you've recovered pretty well. I've recovered so well, nobody even knows I'm a perfectionist anymore. But I'm a recovering perfectionist. When my wife married me, she married me and my five-page list of discipleship things that I had to do every week in order to honor God and be pleasing to God. I had the, the, uh, a life of faith distilled to five pages of check marks. That I would do every week. But my heart was good because I never ever matched up to what my standard was on paper. I always needed God's grace. Every week there there were blank lines. Every week there were unchecked boxes. But I had what it meant to follow after God reduced to a list. And when I married Susan, who had never, by the way, seen a checklist. I'm sure of it. When I married her, she rescued me from this life of perfectionism. And that was one of those groups that Paul was talking to. He said, don't reduce God to be small. Don't reduce him to a checklist. 
Let him be the God of power and grace in your life and, and, uh, and, and live for him. Then the apostle addresses a second group or a second issue. And he says, here's something else that you need to use as a measuring tool. Here's something else you, you need to use as a standard. In verses 18 and 20, he says, let the passions of your life be conformed to God's kingdom. Let the passions of your life be in 18 through 20 because he draws a very clear graphic distinction between two lifestyles, two groups of people. And he speaks to the church and says, this is what I want you to recognize, that there's, there's the possibilities of destruction, there's the possibilities of a lifestyle here, or there's the possibilities of what I've called you to and what you've experienced already in the freedom and the grace that I have for you. So look at these verses with me in verses uh, 16, no, 18 through 20. Down near the bottom, it says, uh, Yeah, for as I've uh, often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind, and this summarizes it, their mind is set on earthly things, only on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our mind is set on heaven. Our lives are to be conformed to the kingdom of heaven. And in doing so, we live a different lifestyle. Now, Paul graphically sets these two groups out. He says, on the one hand, there are, there, there are those who are seeking after Christ, who seek to follow Christ, to live by life of grace and pattern their lives after His love and compassion, to have His beauty lived out through their lives toward their culture and His holiness to emulate their lives and a life of respect and honor to others as they seek to share Christ with them. There's, there's this group in the church and that's who you need to be. But then right beside that, there are these in the church and these who are related to people in the church. And this group uh, are those who seek to live just to fulfill the cravings of their appetites. They, and then they brashly declare what they live like as being good and right and acceptable in God's sight. What's on their mind is the pleasure they can get out of the moment. And their destiny, it says, is painted with pain and destruction and purposelessness. And there's no eternity on their minds. And so he draws a very clear distinction between these two groups of people whom the church in Philippi were related to and relating to and listening to and watching. He says, first of all, there are many there are many who have chosen this. It says there are many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And at times, I'm not sure about you, but at times I feel like there are many who say, I'm living for Christ, but their lifestyle does not match up and emulate who Jesus is. The compassion's not there. The, the, the pursuit of holiness, that balance between grace and and holiness that makes the Christian walk a beautiful walk is missing. And, and it, it, sometimes it grieves me to see this. And there are many that are like that. And there are many who are declaring that it doesn't matter how you live anymore. 
Just as long as you believe the right thing. And just as long as you trust that whatever I live like will somehow or another pan out well. And Paul says there are many like that. And what I'm here to tell you today is there are many who are pursuing Christ as well. And if you feel like you're alone or you feel like you're outnumbered or you feel like you're being overwhelmed by this cultural, this cultural um, argument in, that's going on about what it means to follow after Christ, know that Jesus has his people following after him. And you can look around you and you see some of them here. There's a lot of people here following after God with all their hearts. And you're not alone. And so no matter how much you feel overwhelmed by the cultural discussions of the day and what seemingly is many who are enemies of the cross of Christ, there are those who are following after God with all their hearts. And so keep going and don't be discouraged. So first of all, it says there are many. And it says that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The word live there actually is a word that means that they walk about or they walk about in circles. The word means that they're walking in circles. What a graphic picture of what a life given over to the pleasures of the flesh over and over and over, day after day after day, can lead to. It's a life that's lived in a circle of sin and a circle of disappointment and a circle of being unfulfilled. And Paul says there are many who live like that and God wants to break them out of that circle. It may be, and probably most of us in this room have, have made a choice that you think back and you've made the same choice before and it didn't work out then. You know, maybe a sin or a pattern or a life choice and it really did not, it didn't work out well. And then you do it again. And you think, didn't I just go around that mountain before? Didn't I learn what I was supposed to learn back then? And God wants to break us out of that cycle and that circle of sin. In His grace, calls you and me to step in to a real faith relationship with Him. And His power can rock you out of that circle, that circle of sin that you find yourself in and give you purpose and direction And a sense of destiny. Because he doesn't want you to be stuck in that cycle as well. And the third thing I want to point out in this. Is it says that their destiny is destruction. Their destiny is destruction. The word there means not just destruction. But it means a a life that's wasted. A life of brokenness. It can mean either one of those words. And a life that's stuck in a cycle of sin. Is a life that's wasted. Because it's only lived for the moment and the pleasure. And there's no eternity in mind in the whole existence. And it's wasted. And it leaves a life and a heart and a soul fractured and broken. And God wants to break people out of that kind of a lifestyle. And give them hope and help. He wants the passions of our lives to be conformed to God's kingdom. There's a third element, a third measurement that Paul talks about in the last couple of verses. He says, let the pursuit of your life be transformed by heaven. Now, we don't talk about heaven a lot. We don't think about heaven a lot. And I'm not sure why we don't think about heaven as much as any more than we do. 
But whenever you put heaven alongside of what you're experiencing today, no matter how hard it is, no matter what the, the consequences might be, when you put that alongside heaven, it puts it in perspective. Because our small pains here compared to a life of heaven and eternity with Jesus is far outweighed. And so God's word says, let the purposes of your life be transformed by the knowledge that God has eternity in mind for you. God has eternity on his heart for you. And he's prepared heaven for you. When you and I said yes to Jesus. And if that's going to be your day today, When you say yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to that free gift of eternal life. And you're saying yes to the forgiveness that he offered on the cross. To restore you from being stuck in a cycle of sin. To being free. And walking in his freedom. And in fact it says that we are not only being transformed by heaven. And remembering that we're heading toward heaven. But it says that we're already citizens of heaven. And so what we experience here on earth today, we have flashes and touches of heaven breaking into our lives. We'll see it fully the day that he comes back. We'll see it fully when he, we experience eternity in heaven with him, but we have flashes and experiences of heaven here on earth. And it causes us to stretch our lives to live a life that says Jesus is king. And I'm going to live as if I were in heaven today. I'm going to live as if the, the things of heaven that God values are mine. I'm going to live as if what he values and what he finds pleasure in is what I'm going to value. And I'm going to find pleasure in. And it says that we eagerly await for our Savior to return. We eagerly await for our Savior to return. Not so he can come back and get those guys that aren't living like we want them to live. Or not so he'll come back and bring judgment to those people who are saying it's the gospel plus something else. No, we look for our Savior to come back because we're broken. And we need mercy. And we need healing. And we need him to come and satisfy our cry for mercy. We need a Savior to come back for us. And so we wait for him to return Because we need his healing. And we need him to transform us. Because we're weak. And we need to be saved. So as citizens already of heaven. We live in ways that say that King Jesus is having his way in our lives. And we pursue what pleases him. And we pursue that which gives him joy in his heart. And we let those pursuits of our lives change how we live. And we let the pursuits of our life transform us so that we live as citizens of the kingdom. So that we live as citizens of heaven. The presence of the kingdom to come in fullness and elements of the kingdom of God breaking into our lives on a daily basis here on earth. Now let me ask you this. What informs your faith? What do you allow to inform your faith? Is your faith... And your life of faith informed by the cultural discussion going on right now? Or is it informed by the truth of God? Is your life of faith informed by how you feel today? 
Or is it informed by the truth of God impacting and impressing onto your life? Our culture and the voices that say the only way you're going to measure up is by doing better and getting more things on your checklist. Or is it a life of faith that says, God, I depend on you today. I'm going to choose to walk after you and trust that your grace will be sufficient for the struggles and the trials and the opportunities I have before me. God hears the cries of your heart. And he wants to break you out of any cycles of sin or any patterns of life that try to achieve for God what he's already accomplished through the cross of Christ. So let's pray together. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.